have a very special guest today, Yara Saib. And I apologize for not being able to pronounce your last name properly. It's beautiful, though. That was lovely. <laughs> um, and Yara, you are the author of No Land to Light On, this one that I'm holding up right here. This amazing novel, which is not your first, but it's your latest. So welcome. Well, thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here, Jenny. Uh, pleasure's all mine. Um, I wanted to start off with a little bit of your background. Um, you know, where were you born? Um, just a, I know you have a very extensive education and you've accomplished so much. Oh God, I wouldn't say that, but um, um, I have been lucky. I've, I was born in Lebanon, in Beirut, but I've been lucky to have lived in many different places. I lived in Glasgow when I was a kid. Uh, when, um, when we were growing up, my, my father was studying there and we all went. Um, I lived in Lebanon. I studied there. I, for a while, I lived in Washington, D.C. And then I moved to Paris and I lived there for a while. And now I'm based in Boston with my family. I, um, I have a background in international relations with a specialization in counterterrorism and sub-state violence and a PhD, all of which I do not use <laughs> um, now, but, but it's there. And um, it was just, I think, a very long and convoluted way to get back to what I wanted to do from the very beginning, which is writing. Do you feel like um, your knowledge in those fields helped you write uh, No Land to Light On? You know, it's it's a very it's a very thought provoking question because there, there is a lot of politics in the book, isn't there? Yeah. There's um, there are very big international human issues, and having studied it for so long, I'm sure that definitely helped with a lot of the research that was involved. But I think what my education in international relations and in in politics and in in things like war and peace really gave me was an insight as to how deeply human and, and damaging these things are. It, it just, my studies helped me connect things like the news and words and images you see on a screen to real people and real lives. And they made me appreciate the very real consequences of politics and laws on, right. on people's lives. And I think it was that, awareness of how real this is. This is not just something you study in a classroom or practice um, in an office or, um, or say in a speech, it's, it's very real. I think that helped me very much in, and motivated me to write No Land to Light On. And it's, it re, it's reflected in the book so well. I mean, when I started to read it, it took me a while to shake off that feeling that this wasn't a, a nonfiction story, if that makes sense. It felt like an account of something that had really happened, which it did, and we'll get into that. But these characters are not real. Um, but uh, it definitely felt, um, you know, you did such an amazing job uh, marrying factual things that happened with um, this couple's story. Uh, thank you for saying that. That, that was very much the intention. I mean, as you say, Sama and Hadi, and, and the story is, is fictional, but, but th these are events that happen, and there were real people who were 
very much affected and families that were separated. And I was trying to tell their story through the, this, this fictional couple that, um, that find themselves separated. So I'm, I'm glad it worked. Yeah. Do you think it, that made it easier to write the fact that these were fictional people as opposed to uh, having used, you know, a real life person? Oh, um, well, so the, the backstory is this initially was not a work of fiction. Um, there, there were, this, this book was written three times. There are three manuscripts, three full manuscripts. And the first was not at all the work of fiction. And Sama and Hedi were very real people and they were not called Sama and Hedi. Um, it started out as my own journal, my notes, my thoughts, um, based on my own experience being separated from my husband with my children, not due to the travel ban per se, and, and we're not Syrian, but because of an executive order that was passed and whose ramifications were that my, my family was torn apart. And the first time I wrote this book, it was just me pouring my heart out, just me having all these feelings and not understanding and not being able to, to fathom how something someone wrote on a piece of paper could, could, could destroy a life, could destroy a family. And that was why I wrote the book the first time. And it was not a good book. It was a very sad and and hurt and not a good book um the second time i wrote this book i turned it into a work of fiction and some and hedy appeared and um but it was still a very i i still had a lot of healing and growing to do and a lot of understanding to do so it was still it was not a book about love it was very much a book about politics and about separation and about identity and about home and immigration but the third time I wrote this book, I realized I wanted to write about what I stood for, not what the world was throwing at me. Because the world will throw terrible things at you. I mean, just today and, and yesterday, we're, we're all watching what's going on in Ukraine. And these are people who two days ago were like you and me, had families, were, were struggling to find babysitters, you know, were... were we're thinking of you know what to make for dinner or, or what their plans were for the weekend, and now now everything's ruined because of a piece of paper, because of a law, because of a decision someone made in some office somewhere. And this is the reality of the world, and it's 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 a terrible injustice. But that that is not what I wanted to write. I wanted to write what I stood for, and what I stand for is love. And, and I'm, I don't mean this in a cheesy, you know, red hearts, Valentine's-y way. I, I mean it in a genuine way. These are the values I stand for, which are family, which are home, being the loyalty to the people you love. It, it, about when, when, you, when you choose to love, when everyone around you is hating, you become free no matter what gets thrown at you. And that was hopefully what came out in the third book so yes. in a very long answer to your short question yes they are fictional but but they're not really fictional some and heady no uh i i can't imagine what you must have been through and what that must have felt like um but it just it's a testament to your strength and and your family's strength and i'm glad you're all okay and you know i, I think this book 
touches on so many things that so many people can relate to. So if, if this is what came out of it, I, we can all learn from you. Because uh, as you said, that first book must have been so angry. And of course, I think that as immigrants, that's, uh, that's one of the emotions that we all deal with. How do you overcome that anger of being uprooted from, from your home, from your culture, from the things that you value, and all of a sudden have to start over, even though you're grateful, you know? You know, the interesting thing, I used to mistake it for, I used to think it was anger. And from my own experience, and it, it might be very different for other people, I think it's more, for me, it was really fear masquerading as at anger, fear of this unknown, fear of not being in control, feeling I'm in a new place. I don't know what's going to happen. I I don't have all all these these tiny these tiny elements that that are that's sort of my my safeguards. Like the languages, I yes, I speak the language, but there are always these cultural references that I don't get. I I don't understand how people think, how how things work. You, when you're so unmoored and you're just you, you want to make this home and you you want to make it work, but but you're scared. And it's a bit like it's a bit like children in a playground at school. You know, the, the bullies are usually the ones who are the most scared because they this this is the only way they know how to deal with this emotion. So I I think my, the first book for me was a very frightened book, a book that was very overwhelmed by the lack of control. I was adrift. I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know what would happen. What, what do I have that's guaranteed? Nothing. And it was very sad and it probably came out as very angry. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, especially the fear that you, you just mentioned because there is a lot of fear involved. There's a lot of the unknown. You know, what's gonna happen? Are you gonna be okay? Is your family going to be okay? It's difficult. Yeah, yeah it was. Um, one of the things I loved was how, even though I'm not Syrian, nowhere close <laughs> to being, neither. you know, to that part of the world. Um, but my own immigration story is in a way reflected here. You know, my, my family was apart for four years. I was very young and I didn't understand why I had to live without, you know, my dad, why there were no phone calls and all those, those little things that we take for granted, uh, those couldn't happen. And it was really difficult to understand why. And, and like you mentioned, because of someone else's decision who doesn't know me, why is his decision affecting my life? Very true. And yeah. um by the way, thank you very much for sharing your story. When when you and I were, were chatting a bit before yeah. the the podcast, I I think hearing about your experience and your family's experience just reinforced how it's not about you being Syrian or 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 Mexican or Cuban or Swedish or I it, it, it's not about your nationality. It is something that could happen to any human, but at the same time. We all have the same concerns. We all want our father or our, 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 our parents' home at the end of the day. We all want to feel safe. We all, it's incredible how 
no matter how different we all are, and we all come from very different stories. Your stories is your story is not my story, and my story is not Salman Hedi's story. But we all want the same things at the end of the day. We just want home. We just we just want to be okay. Um, I don't think it's too much to ask. And I think you and I, with our families, we're the lucky ones. There are so yeah. many people. Yeah, so many. And I mean, you you say there's a lot to learn from you. That I'm, I didn't do anything. I was just very lucky and. I am very conscious of all the families who are not as lucky. And where are the stories that ended up being okay? Exactly. There's so many that unfortunately didn't, mm-hmm. you know, and, um, and th- there's a lot to, to say for the immigrant experience, which is one of the things that I loved about this book. Um, the way you, you brought that in, um, well, first of all, with the representation of the birds, I, I love that metaphor all throughout because um, obviously birds migrate, you know, through, through the year or for winter, but they always get to go back, right? And, and we don't, we don't get to, at least most of us don't get to go back. So um, to experience that with Sama and her love for birds, that was really special for, for the reader, for me as the reader. I, I love that. Um, do you identify with Sama? I think there are a lot of elements in Sama that, uh, that I definitely identify with. Not, not everything, um, not, not all the aspects of her personality. Uh, I could never be as scientific as she is, but uh, there are definitely, I do share her love of her love of birds, for instance. And one of the beautiful things when I was doing research for this book, um, just because you mentioned bird migration was, yes, birds migrate like us because they have to, you know, for, for food, for shelter, to, for warmer climates, to escape predators, et cetera, et cetera, to, to breed. But there are also birds that apparently migrate for no reason. And that part I just found so beautiful and the parallel with with humans who just who are just free spirits and just choose to go why because because the world is vast because and and that I think the bird metaphor was just brilliant because that not not brilliant by me no, it, it, is. it is brilliant. Uh, it, it was just it, it felt very powerful because there was there's such a spectrum there are so many reasons birds migrate and so many different kinds of birds that migrate. And at the same time, there are so many reasons people leave and people go places and some return and some don't return and some some go to escape things, some go to seek things, um, a different life maybe, and some just go because, because look how gorgeous the world is and why not, let's go. And um, I have to say the birds were definitely my favorite part of the book. I agree with you. That, that was a... <laughs> That was a treat. Every time there was a reference to the birds, it, it felt like a balance between all the heavy things that were happening. And then it was like a little relief for, for a couple of paragraphs that we get to like step away from reality. Okay. Yeah, yeah I, I enjoyed that a lot. Uh, what would you say was the most difficult character to create, to write? Ooh, um, I struggled with several. Uh, Hadi was difficult because I had to get into the mind of a man and the mind of a man who has recently become a father and is already 
is already sort of coming into a country not as somewhat feeling inferior because he he doesn't have the language and because he's he's a he he's a refugee and so so this is someone who's already struggling with his position and also now is is losing power over his own autonomy and his own freedom and and he can't even protect his family and he's angry but also helpless and trapped and it it took me a while to try to understand what it means to be a man, a husband, a father of a family in that situation. So that, that character was not easy. But to be very honest, the hardest character to write, the one that I think took the most rewrites, was the, um, the officer who interviews Hadi in the interrogation room. Because there are so many ways to write that character. For, for those of you who haven't read the book, there's one scene where Hedy's in an interrogation room in Logan Airport, and he's being informed that his visa is no longer valid and that he cannot enter the country and has to um, and has to leave the United States. Meanwhile, his wife is in arrivals waiting for him. And he's he's becoming aware that his life is falling apart. He cannot come home. The most difficult person character to write in response to your question Jenny was the officer interrogating him because there are so many ways to write that character um in one scene he was you know this horrible villain and then in the other he is this very sympathetic person and I really had to stop and try to understand what it means to be this man who is just doing his job he has just received orders saying all people with these passports and these types of visas or this sort of paperwork cannot enter the country. You need to interview them, you need to get all the necessary information, and you need to inform them that they're being put on a plane and they have to leave the country. This person is just a person. This person is, is, is someone who believes in the system, chose this job, wakes up every morning, and then comes back to his family. And to be able to write that character, even though he only appears in one chapter, I think he was the hardest for me to write. I never thought that you that would be your answer, but now it makes all the sense in the world. Um, it was exhausting. It was <laughs> yeah, the the way uh, as a reader I experienced him, you know, it was so effortlessly. Um, so it's a, a testament to your talent. I I did not think that was going to be your answer, <laughs> but I can see. Yeah, you're absolutely right. How, um, because there are moments when he's likable and when we can connect with him. And, and if you're honest, or if I'm honest, I should say, maybe I would have acted the same way he did, you know? If you're thinking that all these people are, you're being told that they're a danger to your country and you need to get them out. Exactly. And that you, you touched on an excellent point. What would I do if I were being told that my country and my, my values were being threatened by people like this man. Right. And it's and, up to me to make sure exactly. that I keep things safe. You know, I, there's, a, there's, a, there's a part, I'm sorry to interrupt no, you. No, 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 go ahead, go ahead. There's one part in the scene where he gets angry and he, um, he says something about, I've seen people like you and I, I served in, in yeah. the war. And, and this patriotism that, that comes out in the, in, in, in the officer you have to understand it too. I mean, he's he loves his country and he he has a family to protect. He has values to uphold and and 
he is genuinely angry at, at Hadi. It, I think this book was a true challenge for me in trying to see the humanity in every single person in every situation. It was, it was a brilliant exercise for me in being more human. Well, you rose to the occasion for sure, um, because now thinking about that, I had to be honest, I hadn't considered that. Thinking about that, I can see how that must have been so difficult. And how it would have been so easy just to write him as this just evil, you know, officer that has zero understanding of, of other people's pain. But you didn't. So I appreciate that. As I'm sure everyone else does. Oh, thank you. <laughs> it took a few tries. It took many tries. Well, as they say, third time is a charm, right? Third or fifth or tenth unit. Let's go with third. <laughs> yeah, in this case, it would be third. Um, Sama, obviously, I, I definitely identified with her. But the thing that I think she helped me with the most was understand my own mother. And what my mother went through, um, you know, because you you always see things from your own perspective. And I just remember my mom being hurt for, for so long. And sometimes me saying like, that's it. This is our life. Shake it off, you know. And now I see how selfish of me that was. So she definitely helped me um, connect with my, my own mother's experience. Well, that's, that's, first of all, beautiful. And tell me, how, how long was your mother separated from your father? How, how long were you all separated? Uh, it's, it's really not long at all. It's, it's three and a half years. It's um, quite long. That is quite yeah, long. I think we always feel like we were so lucky because we know so many people that waited 10, 15. Um, you know, it was, it was almost miraculous how, how quickly it happened for us. Um, you know, we usually say there was definitely, definitely divine intervention um, in our reunion, but it was back in, you know, 1990, from 1991 to 1995. So, you know, cell phones weren't a thing. Um, calls were not legal. So we had to, you know, use um, a neighbor's phone and then like jump from neighbor to neighbor. To, so that, you know, the, the whole tracking or whatever that was, because it wasn't tracking then, it was just people watching. Um, so long story short, you know, phone calls were like once every, you know, two weeks for just 20 minutes. And it was always at past midnight because everyone's asleep. So it was safe to have these phone calls. Um, so, yeah, it was it was very tough on her. And I never gave her enough credit, you know? I think we all don't give our mothers enough credit. I, you know, you say three and a half years is short, but it's, it must be an eternity when you don't know. I mean, now you know it's three and a half years, but when, when you're in this uncertainty and you're in a foreign country and you have, you have a child, did, did, did you have siblings? Um, I do, me um, I have a sister. So at I'm the so time sure. I was seven and my sister was one. One, yeah. Can, can you imagine this woman in a country with two young children? Oh, wow. 
Wow, it's it's Herculean, and at the same time, you're you're right. We we cannot understand it. You know how our, our mothers always used to say, "When you become a mother, you'll understand." Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you did it. Wow. And I used to roll my eyes. Really, I have to wait to be able to understand. But it's yeah. so true. Now um, that that I'm a mom, I can definitely see things in a different layer. Um, especially when it comes to her and you know uh, the story of Sama kept adding to that layer as you know as I'm sure many other stories will as I continue to to grow in my own motherhood Um, but it it's nice to be able to go back and and realize things yeah Yeah. definitely Um, and Hattie he is just perfect. <laughs> a better word. He's so caring. And he's just such a, he rises to the occasion, no matter how scary it is. And his purpose, you know, he's very clear. He wants a better life. Yeah. And it's just so unfair what happens to him. You just, you, you feel that unfairness that life sometimes throws at people or, or we do to ourselves I don't know the jury's still out on that one um but he's he's very special he's um he's a very good human and I think he has his flaws he has many flaws and he gets angry and he and he gets drunk and he and he 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 deals with the situation in such clumsy, I, I wouldn't say wrong, I would just say clumsy ways. And, um, and it all goes back to this anger being actually just fear. But he is, at the end of the day, he's just a man in love with his wife. He's a man who, who now has a son he hasn't met and just he, he wants his family together and he wants, he wants them to be safe. And, yeah. And the most difficult part is knowing that he had every right to be here. You know, he's a a legal immigrant. Uh, He's not asking for any favors. He deserved to be here. And yet he's turned away. The crazy thing is, I don't know where we're born with this expectation of things will be fair. Maybe it's all the Disney that that I adore, by the way. Um, But... It, it it might just be all these stories that we have that we we expect that if you're a good person if you do the right things if you know if you I think that's the key you know we we're brought up with these values and we feel like if we stick to them life is gonna give us something back you know you're gonna get a reward which is you don't always no you don't no, you don't. And it, it doesn't have to be something as drastic as an executive order is throwing you out of the country. It could be the simplest thing, like I walk out of this interview and I fall and I, you know, snap my neck and I'm in a wheelchair for the rest of my life. I mean, that's that's not fair, but it, it happens. There are so many unfair things that happen. Um, I think one of the things this book taught me was, yes, life is unfair and I am free to still choose happiness and to still choose what I make of my life in spite of all that. I, 
not not expect life to be fair when you when you stop expecting it to and when it it it, it stops mattering you know i mean it, it will still hurt and i think there's a there's a beautiful buddhist quote um by some buddhist teacher and i apologize that i will totally say it wrong um but in in buddhism they say pain is inevitable suffering is a choice oh yeah i think that makes total sense. I, you, you there will be pain. There will be injustice. Nobody's life is roses and flowers, whether it's executive orders or what's going on in all around the world, all these different wars, whether it's COVID, whether it's anything. Something is going to happen. Um, but how you deal with it is is a choice. I think that's one of the things that made this book um, extra special is the fact that you are dealing with such heavy topics and themes and the story itself it's it's sad but then you walk away by the end with this this belief in the human spirit you know they made it they're they're still standing they're there they're strong and it just reminds you of how really humanity is we're we're resilient as um, cliche as that is it makes me very happy to hear you say that 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 was definitely what I hoped to to reach with this book by, by the end of the book this lightness just go I wanted to ask you about a uh, specific quote at the end this freedom is to dig their roots deep in the ground searching hoping fighting for water and the possibility of birds returning uh, that one struck me because obviously uh, for immigrants, the, the theme of freedom is always that first, that first purpose of why we do these um, almost impossible things, right? To, to go to a new place and start over, especially if there's a language barrier or cultural difference that's vast, um, but you still do, you show up with nothing, but you're, you're, grit and your belief that something good is going to happen out of this decision. So um, the fact that you described freedom is to dig their roots deep in the ground. That was really, that really stood out to me because you think your roots are where you left, but you can start new roots, you know, deep. So what does that mean to you? That, that particular sentence um I'm, I'm very attached to it when I wrote it I was thinking of my father my father is in Lebanon and he loves that country he loves that land his his own father you know did everything planted the pear trees you know planted the vines and the, my father has a very solid attachment to the land and to the history and to the culture of a country that is falling apart and that has done him so much pain um, you know, whether it's the economic crisis or whether it's the civil war in that country. I don't know if you know anything about the, back, the history of Lebanon, but it is Only a little. It's not a rosy history. And, but my father, trapped as he is, and as he has been in several instances in his life, and when I say my father, I also mean my mother, but my, my father specifically because of his love for the land, he, he was always a free man. He is if, if 
objectively, he's not a free man. He's a man trapped by his passport, trapped in his country, trapped by his circumstance. But he is such a free man because he, he has never given up hope. And that's what, what the tree metaphor is, is freedom is this tree's decision to keep digging those roots down, 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 because it, it will keep hoping that it will find water there, even if there is no water. The tree is free to keep digging and keep sending those roots down and nobody can stop that tree from doing it, even though it looks like the tree is just trapped. You know, the, the, the tree is in one place. It can't go anywhere. A tree can't pack up and leave. It's not a bird. But even in its being trapped in that one place and it's digging its roots deeper, there's a freedom in that. And it is something I see in my father and that I respect very much. That's amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. Um, I was not expecting that. <laughs> no wonder this quote is so, that part of the paragraph is just so um, strong because it came from a strong place. Well, thank you. It, it definitely came from a personal place. Yeah, I can see that now. Um, so what, where do you think Sama and Hadi are today? Ooh, I've been asked that question. And um, <laughs> And that question was problematic in publishing the book because uh, many beta readers and um, people at the publishing house, like, so many people were unhappy with this undetermined ending to the book. Of, we don't really know what happens to them. Um, I'm going to disappoint you again, but I, I don't know where they are. And the more important thing is it, it doesn't matter because by the end of the book, Sama has understood. There's a part where she tells him, let's go, you know, like, let's, let's go to, to Amman, to Beirut, to Paris. Let's, let's mm -hmm. pitch a tent somewhere in the middle of nowhere and just sit in the tent and be happy. And that's the point. It doesn't matter where they are because they're together. Like they could be anywhere. But if, if your home is, is, the, is the people you love and that's what really matters. So I'm sorry to disappoint you, but I have no you idea what you are. You could never disappoint me <laughs> or anybody that's read your work for that matter. I can almost guarantee it. Um, uh, and I, to be honest, I was expecting an answer like that. Oh, I, I had to ask, um, but I can tell you intentionally left um, the book where, it, where it's at without really being clear on where they are because their, their love for each other and what they're willing to do for their family is, it speaks for itself. That's what matters, like you said, yeah. not the physical place. And isn't that the story of, a, of an immigrant? You know, the place itself doesn't matter. It's, you take your home with you. have you. your family safe and together and in a place where they're thriving, um, but it could be anywhere. Exactly. Yeah. Um, there's a beautiful poem that I'm probably going to misquote again um, by T.S. Eliot, where he, is it T.S. Eliot? No, no, I apologize. <laughs> T. Cummings. Oh dear. Oh, okay, my, I, one of my favorites. He's, he's wonderful. And oh, I caught that. But, well, that would have been embarrassing. <laughs> Don't worry. T. Cummings, where he, um, he, he says, I carry your heart. I, I carry it with me. I carry it in my heart. Wherever, wherever I go, you go, my darling. And I'm never without it. Again, the poem is gorgeous. I completely butchered it. But the, the essence is that 
I take your heart with me wherever I go. And, and yeah. that's, that's home. Right, right. So I have to show you something. So funny that you, uh, that you said that. Because I always have these quote of his here in my, my journal. Where is it? It's always here. With it's, it's a couple of years old, but it says, may I be is the only prayer. Not may I be great or good or beautiful or wise or strong. And yeah. I try to, yeah, I try to remember that. Sometimes we get so clouded, right? With like all these things that we need to be. And he just says, may I be, right? Like, may I be who I am? May I be here? May I be a person? If you start off with that, you're good. Yeah, so it's, it, it feels serendipitous that you brought him up. Because I was just going through this before we started chatting. Oh, it doesn't. I, I didn't know that quote of his, so thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, I know you have to go soon. We only have a few minutes left. Oh, yes. But can you quickly uh, tell me about your process? Because you're, you know, you're a mom and a wife and you have two little ones. How do you manage to turn out such a masterpiece? I can't <laughs> write a grocery list. Well, that's why you're the writer, not me, but you know. <laughs> I have to tell you, my grocery list is all over the place. Um, if <laughs> um, today is not the best day to ask me I I have no idea um, on a my process is in a dream world I would have a quiet cabin you know what I don't even need a cabin just a small room with a desk that's quiet with some light and you know not cold and just to be able to write I could do that oh my God, you could lock me in there for a month and I would be the happiest girl in the world because I would, I would be with writing and reading. That would be wonderful. Now that's the dream world. In real life, um, you said it. I mean, um, I'm a wife. I'm a mom. I, life gets very chaotic. And I love, I love the way Toni Morrison does this. Like I always think of her, even though, okay, Toni Morrison, Nobel Prize, no, no comparison there, but you know, aspirational. Um, she was raising two children on her own and working a full-time job and she still wrote the books that she wrote Amazing. so if she could do it I can do it if I have half an hour and this is all I get sit down and write for half an hour you chose this career you chose to write because you love to write make it work uh yeah so I don't I don't have an elegant process. I have a dream process and then I have a real life process. I have a kitchen counter, which is higher than my twins can reach. So that means I can put the laptop on it and write. And that's now. convenient. Um, <laughs> I don't know if that counts as a process, um, but I, I do have a very, very supportive family. And um, I have a husband who respects my profession, which is rare because it's, it's you know, I'm, I'm a writer. I'm not. I'm not working for a company, but um, he's, he, he does his best to give me the time to write. And, and yeah, the process is you, you make it work however you, however you can. I love that um, because it, it sounds like anyone can do it. And I mean, anyone who, who obviously feels so inclined, you know, they don't need a magical formula. 
um, they just need to get to it, right? Okay. Toni Morrison did it, and look at the masterpieces she created. She I mean, is, uh, yeah, she she's one of the greats. But um, I'm so happy that I was able to talk to you. I'm so happy that I I got to read this book. It's it's definitely I finished it almost a month ago, and it's been on my mind. I I find myself. You know, in those moments when you're not really thinking, uh, something about this book will come into my mind. So it's definitely special. And you're, you're so talented. Your writing style is just amazing. It's the imagery. And I think I mentioned this to you when we were talking privately. It feels like a movie, which I know everyone says that about all books. But this one really does feel like... It should be, I should look up a documentary on it or something. Oh, wow. You're Thank very you. talented. That is a wonderful compliment and very heartening. I, I, I needed to hear that today, I think. Thank you. And it was such a pleasure and, and an honor to be here, really. I'm, I'm delighted that you reached out and this was wonderful. Thank you. I appreciate that. I hope to have you back. Um, I would love to. Yes, there. I feel like there's so much I want to talk to you about. <laughs> You're such a wealth of information. Um, oh. Yeah, you are. You really are. Um, and such a joy to talk to as well. Which is likewise. A- likewise. This, I can't believe it's been an hour. I, it, right? Yeah, it goes by fairly quickly. Um, I always funny. feel like, you know, after an hour, an hour and a half, that's what? I have so much <laughs> more I need to ask. <laughs> Uh, but thank you, Yara, so much. I look forward to, uh, you know, uh, engaging with your work in the future and, um, you know, anything that we can do here on our end um, to help, please count on us. Thank you. We have Jenny. a literary family now in Miami. Well, thank you. And I love your podcast. So keep doing the beautiful things you do too. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that so much. But anyway, I will let you go. Go enjoy your babies and your Friday night. Thank you. You as well. Have a good evening. You too. Thank you. Bye. Bye.